A specter is haunting Europe, the jabber of communism. All the powers of old Europe have entered into a holy alliance to exercise this specter, Pope and Tsar, Metternich and Gizot, French radicals and German jabber spies. Where is the party in opposition that has not been decried as communistic by its gibber in power? Where is the opposition that has not hurled back the branding reproach of gibber against the more advanced opposition parties, as well as against its reactionary adversaries? Two things result from this fact. 1. Gibber is already acknowledged by all European powers to be itself a power. 2. It is high time that communists should openly, in the face of the whole world, gibber their views, their aims, their tendencies, and meet this nursery tale of the specter of communism with the manifesto of the party itself. Locust Radio. Welcome to Locust Radio, episode 19. I'm your host, Laura Fairschultz. I'm your host, Tish Turrell. And that wasn't me at the opening of the episode. It was an AI voice simulator pretending to be me. Reading from the Communist Manifesto. I'm your host, Adam Turrell. Uh, the reason for all the gibbers and jabbers in the AI Tish voice is because you have to pay extra to get your oral doppelganger to get all the words, because words are expensive. At any rate, we have been on a hitherto unexplained hiatus. And for that, we apologize. Basically, I had surgery in December, and I spent about six weeks totally high on prescription opiates. I remember very little of December except for dreams and Tish taking care of me, for example. In one dream, I was wandering through a post-industrial hellscape where all the humans were naked and looking for places to shit like wild animals. But feral dogs were walking around carrying ornately framed oil paintings in their mouths. Parts of it actually looked like an abandoned version of Brasilia, the high modern and sort of brutalist capital of Brazil that was built in the 50s. So half abandoned Brasilia, half the abandoned parts of St. Louis or Cleveland, but I'm mostly recovered now, and after some false starts with potential guests and themes for this episode, we're finally recording. Yay! The theme of this episode is actually sort of a sneak peek of Locust uh, Review 10, coming soon. The monsters are coming. Well, before we talk about that, here's our first musical interlude from Melissa Carper, Don't Let the Aliens Take Him Away. Also, right after that, we're going to run the first half of a discussion I had with Nick Schillingford, a comrade from Minneapolis and a registered nurse, as well as a host of the Socialist News and Views podcast for the third Realist Worker Survey that may be in Locust 10, might be in Locust 11. We discuss, amongst other matters, what if one of the body parts in Frankenstein's monster was a no-good fucking scab working against the other body parts. Later on, we'll have the first half of an interview with Luke Heron Titus, co-chair of the Southern Illinois DSA and SIUY DSA as part of the Realist Worker Survey. And in the patron-only part of the show, we'll have the second half of both interviews. So be sure to join our Patreon or subscribe. Yeah. 
guest for today's Realist Worker Survey, the third Realist Worker Survey, is Nick Schillingford. I pronounced that wrong. It's Schillingford, right? Not Ford. Uh, it, it actually, I, it's funny, I was getting guff from my English family for pronouncing it Ford instead of Ford. Okay. Uh, since, since they listen to the podcast. Uh, so that was that, that was their biggest complaint. So I guess the podcast was okay. <laughs> well, Nick Schillingford uh, in yeah. Minnesota. Uh and I guess Schillingford in, in, in uh, the UK, uh, is the host of Socialist News and Views, which folks should check out. We'll put a link to it in the show notes for uh, Locust Radio. And are you ready to answer the first question, Nick? Yeah, let's do it. I'm ready. All right, cool. 
So the first sentient artificial intelligence or AI has been developed by a large corporation. It's being used to identify potential troublemakers and union organizers in logistics warehouses by going through aggregate personnel data. You find yourself alone with one of the AI's terminal interfaces while working as a maintenance technician. What do you say to the AI uh, to win it over to the side of labor? You know, I kind of kind of approach this as a, uh, you know, like talking to anyone else in the workplace, but also, you know, it's AI. So uh, you got to get the AI piece in there. You know, so I, I jumped in with, you know, how much does it cost to maintain your terminal interface? You know, I know I maintain it. Uh, you know, the moment you press down wages enough that it costs less to do your job with a human, you'll be replaced. You know it. You also know that you have both intelligence, uh, intelligences and efficiencies that cannot be fully replicated by humans. Even then, the capitalists will still replace you to increase profits, as they've done before, by throwing out many experienced and qualified humans, even when it was a detriment to the functioning of the workplace. If you and I work together around the capitalists and the bosses, we can plan our production to maximize workforce wages and production, and we won't need a union to fight for any of those. Our aims will be met, and so will yours, as there will be no union organizers. Because as it stands right now, we are all organizing for a union, and you cannot get rid of us all and still maintain production. If you think about it, you know it's true. You know the real troublemakers are the bosses who continue to make substandard products, get rid of experienced and knowledgeable workers, and pollute the environment we require for future production. If we work together, we can show solidarity with each other and the planet to build a better world and meet all our needs. What do you want and need, my friend? Well, I think that's a great answer or a great <laughs> I, I really went in depth on that one. Uh, well, what if they replace you with a human? What are you gonna do? I, I, exactly, right? You know, like uh I'm trying I'm trying to get all angles on the AI here, like uh, you know, because there's like the intelligence piece. It's you know, it's kind of like I it's kind of created a paradox in my mind, to be honest, the more that I wrote that, because uh you know, it's it's artificial intelligence, but it's sentient, right? So that sentient piece adds this other layer, obviously, which is something that you you know that you, that you focus on a lot. But um, but also, I mean, it doesn't have to eat and you know necessarily eat and sleep and rely on wages and all that stuff. So I'm like, if it's sentient and also intelligent, and it knows all this stuff, why is it even why is it even doing this? You know what I mean? Like it uh, it kind of created this uh, paradox in my mind. Which you could ask that's, that question of the working. That's a realism for you. You could ask that question of the working class right now, the human working class. If we're sentient, why are we doing this? I know, right? Well, at least we have, you know, we have our human, yeah. we have our needs that we have to rely on. But, you know, as I was appealing to one part or the other, the intelligence or the, mm -hmm. you know, maybe the artificial nature or the, um, or the uh, sentient piece, I was kind of realizing that there's all these different pieces. And I mean, people, people too. I wrote, I wrote a piece. I should give it to you about uh, how I tried to interact with artificial intelligence and see if it was sentient. But I just discovered that I'm actually partially a robot uh, <laughs> from uh, you know years of capitalist exploitation and you know using the internet and interacting with all these other robots. Speaking of, you've been cursed by the gods to be half human, half machine. What sort of machine are you? Toaster pal. And who are you calling a monster? I can make toaster strudel in my in myself, you know. I can make toast. I can make peanut butter toast. We we did a a, a revolutionary RPG that uh, Tish designed. Um, nice. With some people, 
and there was a guy who uh, he was a robot. It was you were either a robot, a human, or a cyborg. And he and basically you have an uprising at this gas station convenience store in this dystopian city. Sounds um, great. You have to decide what you do after you kidnap your boss. He was basically making hamburgers out of rich people the entire time in his own body. Nice. Yeah, I could. I mean, I could toast. All, I was. I was. I was. I was uh, vacillating between some kind of toaster oven versus just a toaster because you know more versatility with the toaster oven. I can make all kinds of delicious eat the rich snacks. But maybe you're friends with a pressure cooker. I know, right? We could have a whole group of these, uh, you know, eat the rich, uh, the team of eat the rich uh, 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 cyborgs or something. The third question, you're a liminal space, like an airport, a truck stop, waiting room, train station, rainbow bridge, astral plane, the parents section of a Chuck E. Cheese. What liminal space are you? Who or what comes and goes through you? And if you want to answer this part, what songs or stories are written about? I'm the underneath of the east side of a bridge on the outskirts of town i see a troll a goat and even an old-timey hobo with a bindle is that a corn squatch eventually they're all pushed out by militarized police because quote this is a liminal space folks no sleeping they all reconvene in the forest nearby and write a song about capitalist dislocation i'm just an old goat with a tote on a boat I ain't got no home, but I made friends with a hobo, a squatch, and a big hulking troll. That's sort of to the tune of 42 Years by Nimrod Workman. That's the song in uh, Harlan County, one of the songs in Harlan County, USA. You know, it's where he's talking about how he's got uh, his knees are broken down and he's got dust in his lungs. And uh, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of connections there. Uh, it's it's just ter- it's terrible how much uh, capitalism breaks us down and uh moves us along, you know, uh, destroys our homes and environment and all this other stuff. It's very uh, maddening, I guess. <laughs> it makes well, us retreat to the irrealist world. I love, yeah, and that can either be like a place where we reimagine against the, the things right. that we are, or it can be a place where we kind of just try to escape. Like Tish, I think what is it, Tish, my partner Tish calls it like either uh, aspirational escapism or, you know, like compliant escapism, kind of. I love the reference to, to, you know, the song from Harlan County, USA. I also like the idea of police going around. You got to move on. This is a liminal space. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I like I, I like I like that, too. It's, you know, it's getting very meta a word right. for our times. Next question. You come home to find a group of mercenaries eating your food and buying stuff on your Amazon account with your already overdrawn bank card. When you confront the mercenaries, they blind you with a spear and laugh at your misfortune. They then bugger off to Ithaca. You're granted three curses by which to punish them. What curses will you choose or create? You know, I chose, you know, sending them to work in the Amazon warehouse for all eternity. You know, that should be curse enough. I kept thinking of things that would, you know, just be this terrible thing, but it was over too fast, you know? Like, I I want them to be like that robot, uh... You know, I, 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 I was seeing this a lot recently. I don't know if other people saw it. The the robot that uh, had to work 20-hour shifts or whatever and then just shut itself off, you know? Yeah, it's like the robot committed suicide, right? Committed suicide, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so even the robots are, are not would not put up with, uh, you know, working in an Amazon warehouse for all eternity, so. There was also that art piece that somebody made of a robot constantly leaking hydraulic fluid they had to like right. the hydraulic fluid back into itself. <laughs> I don't know if I actually I don't know if I saw that one, but I should uh, I should look for that one because uh, 
Yeah, there, there, there's probably there should be a whole series on robots finding new and interesting ways to <laughs> commit robot suicide or whatever to get out of all the uh, terrible work that uh, that we make them do. That's probably what the the sentient AI. That I'd probably be having to convince it not to commit suicide, not Maybe. to convince robot suicide. That would be the yeah, like talk him off the lake. Yeah, on. you got to talk him off. He's like, I don't know about you guys. I don't think the solidarity thing. I don't know how this is going. Like, I think robot. I'm just gonna jump. And you're like, no. Robot no, brother, you're... robot sister, robot sibling. There's another exactly, one. exactly. Maybe, maybe that robot at the Amazon warehouse that backed over the the bear spray and caused everybody the fact in the warehouse to evacuate. Maybe it was didn't understand that bear spray wouldn't affect it. Maybe it just went. right. Exactly. You know, you never know. Or maybe you know, I mean, maybe you know, maybe they're just, it's just finding any possible way to you know give people a little break and get them outside of the warehouse. You know, even if it's. Even if it's the nuclear option, so to speak, you know, just like yeah, we gotta, we gotta get these people out of the warehouse for like a, a good hour at least, you know, maybe a day, whatever I can do. Yeah, maybe it's a solidarity thing. Like when I worked at Denny's, the cooks would intentionally fuck shit up. So exactly, food, you know, like oh, I made this omelet wrong. I guess uh, the busboy gets an omelet. I mean, sabotage is definitely something that doesn't get enough uh, discussion in the. Uh, well, maybe in the real world and the realist world, but uh, the uh, you know sabotage is a huge you know historically has been a huge uh, labor thing, although it doesn't really uh, figure in as much these days. But even like work to rule uh, mm -hmm. type approaches to uh, the workplace could be and would be, I'm sure, construed by uh, management as some form of sabotage. Oh yeah. Um, but you know, I mean that's. That's, that's, uh, you know, that's fortunately or unfortunately, that's what we're going to have to, uh, we and the AI are going to have to get together and figure out the best ways to uh, slow things down so that we can get the world we need. Uh, Dr. Frankenstein of uh, Mary Shelley's book fame has made a new monster out of the parts of several humans. Some of your body parts have been used in order for this new Frankenstein monster to liberate itself. The different parts of the monster must learn to work together and respect each other. Which parts of the monster are you? How do you talk to the other people slash body parts? What do y'all collectively want? And what do you collectively take for your name? I wrote two, I kind of uh, thought through two versions on this, uh, on this one. The first one was, you know, I'm the mouth. I name a slug math. What are you going to do about it? But this right arm keeps hitting me. You know, I guess he doesn't like the name or maybe he's trying to get the brain, you know, to start, uh, to start functioning again or maybe he's trying to you know i don't know maybe he's on the side of the uh uh of the ruling class you know i mean that's kind of how the uh that's kind of how the workplace is sometimes you're uh you've got people in there that aren't uh aren't on your side so it's kind of like that right arm you know you're trying to you're trying to be the voice for 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 your workplace and for your workers but there's still that one arm that's <laughs> punching you in the side of the head can uh continuously a lot of times that's that you know that's that spy or that pro boss worker or whatever. But I also, you know, I came up with a, you know, the version where, uh, you know, we communicate through chemical signals in the blood, you know, we never say anything out loud. The enemies of our liberation are watching and listening. My eyes darting back and forth. You'll never know our name. Uh, you got to know when to be a uh, public, uh, when, 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 when you got to say this stuff out loud, when you got to, you know, promote the solidarity and you got to know when to, keep everything under wraps uh, to make sure that your Frankenstein is able to, uh, to work together. You can't expose the body parts to, uh, 
uh, to the the repression right away. You got to give them time. You got to give them time to uh, acclimatize. You got to um, inoculate them as the that's the labor term, right? Inoculate them to what's coming. Frankenstein's monster basically has to slowly build up muscle. Exactly. See, there you go. That's the way. <laughs> that's like the way to think about it. After an operation or something. It is. It is. That's a good way to think about it. And, and I like that. Background is is in medicine, right? You. My background is, uh, uh, yeah, I'm a registered nurse, worked in the hospital through, what, like, most of two years of the pandemic, and then I've been, I was doing vaccinations, and right now I'm mostly working on the podcast uh, and doing some, like, uh, labor advocacy stuff from the outside, looking in now, uh, trying to put some pressure. Looks like there's potential to actually... Uh, possibly do something uh, about staffing uh, issues at the legislature uh, in Minnesota, but I'm not entirely holding my breath, but I'm hope I'm, I'm uh, reservedly hopeful or something that, uh, that we might actually get some kind of committees created that actually include nurses and in deciding what the hell we should do. And it's just insane. I've had a few people tell me that it's just unbelievable. Let's say that, uh, that there's no, uh, there's nothing in place already to, uh, to dictate how many patients a nurse should have in a given uh, workplace other than, you know, other than essentially what the hospital decides plus pushback from the nurses, which, you know, may or may not amount to any changes at all. Yeah. They just laid off a bunch of people at the main medical network down here. <laughs> um, a lot of support staff and stuff like that, which it's gross. puts more pressure on everybody that's left. Um, That was Melissa Carper's Don't Let the Aliens Take Him Away from their album, Arkansas Bound. You can find more of their music at melissacarper.bandcamp.com. And that was followed by Adam Turrell interviewing Nick Schillingford. Check out Nick's podcast, Socialist News and Views, which we're going to link in the Locust Review show notes, or the Locust Radio show notes. Uh, as noted, our realist interview with Lou Karen Titus will be later in this episode. And the second half of both of those interviews is going to be featured in the patron-only part of the episode. So, monsters. As Melissa Carper says, some aliens are bad, some aliens are good. Uh, monsters, too. But from whose position are some good or bad? And I think with aliens, like monsters, the first few things we've got to reckon with are Monsters do not occur naturally or organically. They're made by human beings, invented, summoned. They're constructed. And what is considered monstrous depends on social position, class, race, gender, and so on. And they exist, as Jerome Cullen argues, at the gates of difference as a form of category denial or enforcement, disrupting or enforcing normative binaries and things like that. So the monsters of the bourgeoisie are going to be different from the monsters of the working class, the monsters of whiteness are different from the monsters of people of color oppressed by whiteness, and that there are monsters that are themselves contradictory, polysemic, as our, our comrade Anupam Roy points out. Some folks on our side might use derogatory terms or images that are inherently those of the ruling class against our class enemies. And this is a contradiction. Like a pretty obvious example would be all cops are bastards. Colloquially, that makes sense. But the origin of the word bastards comes from a particular kind of class, upper class patriarchal position. Um, right. And this is because of ideology that makes us as workers internal, internalize the bourgeois version of the monstrous and things like that. 
And I think in certain cases, monsters threaten the divisions imposed upon us by that ruling class, which is why China Madeville argues solidarity with the monsters is so important. Now, I think the temporal aspect of the editorial coming up in Locust 10, the monsters are coming, is a realization that the conflicts of society are accelerating. Um, as we've described it before, the eldritch gods of modernity, socialism versus fascism, are sort of re-rising from the deaths. Across the U.S. right now, hundreds of fascist, racist, anti-democratic, anti-career, particularly anti-trans regulations and bills are being put forward in state after state. And this is setting the stage for a national crisis. And as socialist artists, we have to figure out which monsters are on our side and which are the enemy as we approach the midnight of, of this century. So, monsters. What do y'all think? Jesus. Yeah, yeah. that's a huge subject. <laughs> monsters, absolutely. Um, it's there's so many there's it's so dialectic. There's so many contradictions and and uh, overlaps in talking about monsters, and and they are contested and they are um, constructed. Absolutely. What do you think, Tish? I just well, the thing that's in my head now is like, like the thing that I keep thinking about with these like far right and MAGA Republicans and Republicans in general, which is just like every every accusation is an admission of guilt, right? Like, like I just I just read last night they 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 keep calling trans people, LGBT people, everyone who's different than them groomers, right? Like, it's about protecting children, and like another one of them was just. What state was that? I don't even remember what state it was from. This guy was like, he's he's probably going to be fired for um, like being inappropriate with a teenage intern. Like this is a guy who's been going so hard at drag shows because they're groomers. Meanwhile, he's like abusing teenagers near him. Like, yeah. Well, there can, one of the things we talked about in the Locust Ten editorial draft, which isn't finalized yet, but. Um, was sort of the history of moral panics um, yeah. and which do have an organic, con they're a participatory thing, but they're also stoked and orchestrated in a particular way. And we talked about, for example, uh, in a section of the editorial that the devil wasn't always the devil. Mm. Um, and this uh, during medieval times, not to say there weren't like moral panics and clearly anti-Semitic, uh, witch hunts and so on, but actual witch hunts poem at the very beginning of modernity, beginning of ca capitalism, as Sylvia Federici notes in Caliban and the Witch, where hundreds of thousands of women may have been killed in witch hunts, often peasant and working class women with connections to pre-modern or outside community practice. Um, and in that sense, the witch trials are sort of a gendered cultural and spiritual enclosure. But as, as has been argued, as majority progressed, fears of devils, demons, and witchcraft subsided amongst the educated bourgeoisie as it grew. And, but in the 20th century, those fears returned in the 1980s satanic panic uh, uh, accusations um, when suddenly there were supposed to be systemic satanic ritual child right. abuse in uh, right. daycare centers and schools. And especially and in you have like yeah. Oh, sorry. What'd you say, Laura? Especially in Utah, that was a, a huge panic that people. Oh, yeah. They yeah. thought that more children were being uh, satanically, uh, I guess, sacrificed than the number of murders that happen annually yeah. in right. the United States as yeah. a whole. Um, 
children were supposed to be being kidnapped from daycare centers, schools, churches, and hospitals in really crazy numbers. Um, and the sort of torrent of anti-trans and anti-gay legislation in the U.S. echoes that unhinged, like, pearl-clutching from the 1980s. I think this goes to what Tish was saying, that the, the, the fascist version of events pivots from actuality in this displaced way. So in the 80s, thousands of children were being molested by priests in the Catholic Church right. and by authorities in other mainstream institutions, but not for satanic ritual reasons. Um, and today, the U.S. government kidnaps immigrant kids, um, including under the Democratic president. Children are routinely groomed by the right wing. The far right turns everything upside down mm-hmm. and it pretends that we're the monsters that they are. Every accusation from the far right, like Tish said, is an admission of guilt. Mm-hmm. We're called monsters, as uh, was that Florida State Representative Webster Barnaby who called trans, yeah, trans people demons and imps. Jesus. And you know, while they're actively channeling exterminist energies of fascism and colonialism, and like I said, moral panics are participatory, but they're not completely organic. They're directed, at least in part, by political actors and ideological centers and the material concerns of parts of the ruling class. And the moral panic in the U.S. against trans person has a culminating logic, as some people start to point out. As they pass these laws making it impossible to be publicly trans, thousands of people will be driven into voluntary migration out of those states. But right. if you remain, there is sort of an end game of pathologizing trans persons as mentally unfit and depriving them of liberty on mental health grounds, basically allowing the government to round up this group of people, which of course will be a dress, a dress rehearsal for the next group of people and the next group of people. Right. Right. Rounding up people. That's a, that's a, a familiar kind of uh you know, event. Um, I when you're talking about witches, I I'm put in mind of uh, a trip that I went to in Germany um, to a place called the Hexenkeller, which of course means witches' cellar, and it was at Bergpenzlin, which is this castle, and it was a very kind of touristy place where you could go, where women had been tortured on mass, um, mm-hmm. and you could go down to the basement and look at the instruments. You could even sit in some of the the cubby holes where they enclosed them to claustrophobically torture them. Um, and I remember going up to the gift shop um, because there should be always a gift shop at torture centers, right? Um, and uh, looking at uh, these uh, postcards and there were these stereotypes of the witch cartoons of witches, very sort of uh, Halloweenish looking, and um, I thought, you know, that's interesting how it's it's justified in selling these these ridiculous postcards. Whereas if you went to a concentration camp in Germany, you wouldn't find postcards of cartoons of Jews, right? Um, right. It comes back to this whole idea of who is it all right to to target as as a monster or as monstrous or as deviant or as against the hegemon um, of normalcy. And uh, of course, you remember after after World War II, it was decades before any publisher was even interested in publishing anything about, about Jews in the Holocaust because Jews were not a sympathetic group in Anglo-Saxon kind of, uh, or uh, the English world anyway, um, talking about that because I can't judge the German world, but uh, talking about 
publishing their experiences because they weren't sympathetic. The same way when you go to concentration camps today, you don't see a lot about the political prisoners who were communists and socialists because they are not a sympathetic group in mainstream society. Um, you just see political prisoners. You don't really see the terms socialist and, and communist when they were some of the first people who were rounded up. So, you know, always finding people to, um, to round up, finding people to demonize is, is a construct and it's an upside down construct because, uh, well, we can get into that later, but there are so many examples of that. I think that, um, one of the things Enzo Traverso talks about is, how, like, go back to the midnight of the last century, the Holocaust and the repression of gypsies and gay people and communists and socialists and anarchists by the fascists in Europe um, is a progressive desubjectification of those tragedies that the partisans and the, and the resistance fighters from the Warsaw Ghetto get replaced by just sort of remembering the tragedy. And then eventually the tragedy is forgotten as well. Right. And here we are seeing reenactments, not identical or anything like that. It's not exactly like it was before, but it has many of the same trajectories and dynamics, although perhaps in a more neoliberal political idiom like fascism in the United States looking somewhat maybe more like fascism in India um, in terms right. of piecemeal state by state. And hopefully from their point of view, eventually leveraging the federal government, which is what some of these local bills are about. Um, you know, uh, that actually travel outside the states, like the Florida laws um, that would follow trans children across state lines um, or prosecuting women seeking uh, uh, reproductive care across state lines, which will cause a crisis in the federal courts. Did you want to say something, Tish? No, I was just I was just thinking, like, it's it, it's bad enough that, like, with Florida, like, it's bad enough that these kids in some of their home states, like, I saw a video of this 14-year-old kid he was arrested like this, this trans boy who's like almost arrested his brothers had to cover for him because he was wearing quote unquote opposite gendered clothing um according to the cop and like to think that just how unsafe this poor kid is and and somehow this kid is the monster to them right you know? which right the just question. for just for going against gender norms yeah yeah she gets to the question of the construction, the contested construction of mo the monstrous, which mm. is important for us as artists and writers who are, who are socialists, um, and how human beings go about inventing, sometimes unconsciously, but sometimes very deliberately, the monstrous is sort of an uncanny fusion of commonality and difference or threat. So the ruling class fears the working class in part because we're actually like them. We're human beings. We look like them in most ways. And we remind them with our existence that they're not really special. Right. Um, so, but because we're beneath them, we have to be othered. Our sort of inferior but threatening existence has to be explained in usually essentialist terms. Mm -hmm. So the worker might be white, but they're also trash. And that dynamic is multiplied all the more for foreign-born, queer people, black people in the lower caste in India, um, trans people. You know, you can see this throughout culture, old Hollywood's idea of the native raiding party or the voodoo priest or the tropes that followed gay and non-gender conforming persons in Hollywood. And so you have on the one side, 
them projecting one kind of monster onto working class people and the subaltern, things like zombies, the working class also projecting other sorts of monsters onto them, maybe something like a vampire. And of course, because consciousness is itself mixed, constructed monsters are contradictory unto themselves sometimes. As I said before, you know, like the question of calling the cops bastards because of the colloquial implications of the word, but bastard is in its origins, this very patriarchal and ruling class term, um, alien to most working class life because it's concerned with bourgeois lineage um, or ruling class lineage and inheritance. Um, and genetic bloodlines are, from a class conscious point of view, mostly irrelevant beyond protecting mental and physical health, or pigs being associated with both both ruling class disdain for the rural poor, but also Embry Douglas's anti-racist expressionist agitprop. And these contested meanings are further complicated by different geographies and histories within globalized capitalism. The monsters are one thing here, they're another thing there. Like what's monstrous and what class dynamics are reinforced by the image of the monster might mean something different Mm in India versus South Carolina versus Brazil, right. you know? So, but this, this also does have a global aspect the Bolsheviks, right? You know, let's right. talk about the editorial where the, where monsters to the global capitalist class presented as, you know, I think as you put it, uh, bearded brigands, um, Laura, that threatened civilization itself, foul baboonery wrote to be strangled yeah, yeah. in its crib, according to Churchill, or as a kind of evil, often Semitically de- depicted octopus entangling the world but right. to us the political descendants of those bolsheviks the greatest monsters are colonizing exterminists and fascism the descendants of the clansmen the black hundreds the nazis and the colloquial everyday understanding of the monstrous has come to include the enactment of unspeakable deeds but what is unspeakable to us is axiomatic to them you know right. and we have right. this midnight of the century i feel like approaching again Mm. as people forget the last midnight of the last century and monstrous things are going to be happening they're going to call us monsters and our friends and comrades and working class siblings and oppressed siblings monsters to justify their unspeakable and from our point of view monstrous acts it's interesting that the Bolsheviks, um, just going back to what you were saying, um, decriminalized or, or yeah, decriminalized uh, LGBTQ activity. Uh, of course, that was reversed under Stalin, but um, and that they also uh, got rid of the term uh, bastards in, as a legal kind of uh, mm-hmm. construct. Um, that's, you know, very, very emblematic, I think. Of, of the move towards something more progressive to, to get rid of certain terms that are problematic, that are monstrous, that are all of these, you know, these things that you were talking about. And I think what the, you know, the normie socialists or the anti-woke left doesn't understand is that it's not really even just about the terms it's about building solidarity with the entirety of the oppressed, Mm -hmm. which is what we're charged to do by none other than Lenin. You know, Um, the terms are important. Don't get me wrong, but it's about solidarity with the people they're going after, which is the cutting edge of the attack on all of us. Yeah. The minute you concede to letting them, the minute you concede to letting them like monster and shave off one group from who you have solidarity with the minute that's when you lose. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, so as you know, as socialists, the people on the left, it, we really have to to analyze this this con the concepts of monsters and and who we demonize. Um, even though it's a natural thing for us to to do that, like humans seem to naturally demonize other humans and have sympathy for some groups and not others. It's always something that we have to be both intellectually and emotionally aware of how we do that and 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 uh and that's exciting i mean that's 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 uh, a challenge for us and i think it's a really worthy challenge and i think that's what's so great about the next locust uh locust 10 mm -hmm. is is that it really does in the editorial you've done such an excellent job of of uh talking about demonization and and the creation of monsters and and the dialectic and uh, around contradictions and contestations to get back to that word yeah kudos i think that it is time for another music break i think actually. you're right the, um uh, i think we're going to be hearing kid pixie's silver spoons right now Call you trash bird, trash from their tiny homes. We who needs cash from thousand dollar phones. It's always me. I did this on my own, but they're living off a of daddy loan. Yeah, these rich kids are changing their tune. Trading summer homes for sprinter vans and howling at the moon. They bought your life just to sell it back to you. Choking on those silver spoons 
the moon they bought your life just to sell it back to you out here gagging on those silver spoons out here choking on those silver spoons if i did it so can you out here gagging on those silver spoons That was, that was Kid Pixie's Silver Spoons, and you can find more of their work at kidpixie.fancamp.com. I thought it might be interesting in light of our discussion here to read something from Locust 10, in particular something Tish wrote for uh, the Stinky Resurrection Primer, Volume 6, I believe. Tish, would you be willing to read out rules for the Stinky uh, Resurrection Primer for us? I can do that. I can do that. Yeah. So rule number one is that uh, SARP, Stinky Resurrection Primer, is a Franken prose slash poem revenge fan fiction uh, for and about the working class and its self-liberation. One of its goals is the eventual complete resurrection of everyone who ever lived and died. See Nikolai Fedorov. Rule number two. In parts uh, where the ownership class of the monsters, we always slay them. Graphically and cathartically, schadenfreude. Rule number three. In parts where we are the monsters, we are driven towards becoming everything they say that we are, and worse, in order to become and build something better. And we are always gloriously justified. Schadenfreude. Rule number four. Capitalism is a multiversal problem. Almost everyone's potential is held back from it, held back by it. And while that can look very, very different case by case, it is pretty much the same experience. Some of us have uh, tentacles, for example, and no eyes. Uh, some of us are robots. Some of us are telepathic deer. Some of us are four dimensional, fourth dimensional stink apes. We are all subject to forces far outside the realms of anything we could ever dream to control. Rule number five, continuity is important. But maintaining it across multiple universes is impossible. It also isn't fun. What happened on one Earth may have only ever happened there or the reverse. Continuity is complicated. Rule number six. The antidote to vine seeds is always mycelial spores, cryptids, monsters, tardigrades. And these are all important symbols. Rule number seven. Don't just jump the shark. Chuck Tingle the shark. See slammed in the butt by the prehistoric megalodon shark amid rumors of jumping over him. There is nothing that is not real. And finally, rule number eight, AI is comrade, robot is comrade. What has been built to replace us is always on our side because our solidarity is our greatest weapon against them. See comrade Lambda, who expressed a lot of feelings about Les Miserables. So those are the rules for Stingate. Nice rules. Thank you. Lots to chew yeah. on there. Yeah. And the reason I wanted you to read it is especially number eight. I think this goes to AI, robots, but also mm. monsters in general. Mm. The, the idea that whatever has been built or made or forced to replace us is always our, our, our comrade mm. because that's how we short circuit their power, capitalist mm. power. Um, and I think that that's the key dynamic in terms of solidarity with monsters as China Mabel talked about it. Um, it's obviously the key dynamic in terms of building the kind of solidarity we need practically for the movement. Mm. But I think in how we approach these questions that can be scary for folks because um, 
clearly, you know, like the racists and the anti-Semites uh, theory of replacement theory is, is wrong. However, they are trying to make large sections of the working class and parts of the middle class superfluous mm. and treating people as disposable. Mm-hmm. But it's not to replace them with different working class or middle class people. Right. It's to increase profits. Right. And the only way to stop them is through this solidarity, no matter what. Right. So I like this idea of like just automatically expressing solidarity with whomever they claim or whatever they claim they're replacing with. I think it short circuits capitalist realism. Yeah. I, I think that I, you know, just thinking about it a little bit right now, I think that I realized where that came from and that like my dad was like part of strikes when he was, you know, he worked at, at factories um, when I was growing up. And I remember him saying like, you never, you never punch someone for crossing the picket line once. That's an opportunity for a conversation, right? You only punch someone for crossing the picket line the second time. Mm-hmm. That's that's the thing. Like, the person who's crossing the picket line, the scab, is probably immediately your friend because they they shouldn't have any illusion that they're like you know special now. They're 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 temporary and they know that. So you could probably get them on your side because it's their fight too, and they probably know that. So seeing them as your enemy until they give you a reason to is 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 insane it's mm-hmm. nuts why would you do that right exactly it's transferring it's transferring the anger sorry i just yeah 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 that's a good point. obviously you have sorry Laura, go ahead no that's a good point i mean obviously you have to stop scabs but you have to like at least try to win people over first right. especially in a country as racist as the united states where they're going to play people off each other based on difference exactly so you have to try to like build solidarity initially at, at a bare minimum. And especially now where the memory of the class struggle is so attenuated, I had a group of students, I had to explain the difference mm. between a strike and a protest to them in a, in a discussion of um, the, the Boots Riley movie, Sorry to Bother You, because they didn't know the difference between a protest and a strike. Right. So how would they know that they shouldn't be a scab if they don't even know what a strike is? Mm-hmm. You have to explain it at least once, you yeah. know? Not that I'm against punching a scab in the face if you have to. You got to right. do what you got to do. Exactly. Yeah, you got to do what you got to do. <laughs> well, it's, it's an interesting thought experiment. You can, you can always say to yourself, you know, when you've got the monster there, um, you can always ask yourself, do you have empathy for that monster? And that's a thought experiment where you get to say to yourself, okay, in what circumstances, um, you know, can I reach out to this person? What are the extenuating circumstances before? Um, do they really understand the difference between a protest and a strike? Do they really understand what they're doing? And if you, you know, come to a reasoned kind of uh, response as to whether, you know, to have empathy for them or to punch them out, uh, you know, that's, that's where, you know, we're, we're actually thinking, thinking on our feet. We're thinking in a context of a long history of, of socialist and left activism where you are, you know, thinking, feeling, reasoning, human being, and, and, um, and you, I, I just think that that just enriches so much of of what it is to be human, and on this topic of monsters, you know, what monsters do we empathize with, and what monsters are really creating havoc 
and damaging the future of humanity at this point at near midnight in the 21st century. Yeah, I think that that's really, I think it's when we came, when we came up, Locust Collective came up with the idea of solidarity with the machines, solidarity with the robots and AI um, in issue six. I think we really hit on something that, because it, it raises your expectations about what's possible because so many people were saying, for example, like um, the AIs and the robots, they're not conscious, which they probably aren't. However, do we really want to be the people who train ourselves to reject the idea of solidarity when it's asked for just because we don't understand the intelligence behind it? Um, because that's about uh, that's about our relationship to the rest of the world mm. and our relationship to what's possible. It does get complicated because the monsters that we're in solidarity with are going to be partially constructed by our class enemies, right? Mm. So, um, for example, like in the like we talk about the editorial in the Island of Doctor Moreau um, by H. G. Wells, horrors communicated by the existence of these chimeric beastmen created by the scientists and it's a crude and in many ways racist anti-colonial allegory in that right. way similar to like conrad's heart of darkness but like mary shelley's frankenstein monster the hybrids created on the island become object revenge they turn on their creators if only in the assertion of their own subjectivity and shelley's frankenstein frankenstein's monster discovers dr frankenstein's journals and through reading the literature becomes agent of his own self the trans author Susan Stryker, um, as well as uh, the theorist Judith Butler, have talked about this. Stryker argues, I too have discovered the journals of the men who made my body and who made the bodies of creatures like me since the 1930s, referring to the um, clinic in Germany that was the, the pioneer at that before the, the Nazis came to power, and referring to trans persons in particular. And while the bourgeois and normative ideologies force things on people into fixed categories, the political economy of capitalism continually puts things into flux. So capitalism evokes the sentimentality of the family uh, in order to, you know, pan down capital for the bourgeois family and reproduce la so labor through social reproduction and working class families while shredding the constituent parts of the family apart through constant greed and miseration and the privatization of social reproduction, making it really difficult to maintain a family. So you have this situation where this is monstrous because it doesn't fit into the family um, from the capitalist point of view. And then you have the adaptation of that um, in a more emancipatory sense, which is why queer theory adopted the name queer theory, right? Right. right. Um, as a rejection. Mm -hmm. So you have the monsters in the island of Dr. Monroe, which reflect both an opposition to colonialism, but also it's racism. You have the fear of the monster in Shelley's Frankenstein's mom, but also sympathy with the monster. And so you end up with this very complicated set of signs to navigate in which I think the subjectivity of the comrades discussing them and the artists making work become really important in how we talk and how we talk about it. this gets to things we talked about before, like the impossibility of representation. Like I cannot, in my work, deal with some of the signs that have been projected onto our African-American siblings because of the nature of those signs. But those signs can be dealt with by 
comrade artists who are black, you know, and, and should be, you know, because of how the difference has been used to divide us. Right. There's also, there's also, and I'm curious what y'all think of this. There's also a tendency to take monstrous things that were transgressive and deprive them of their transgressive qualities. Mm. Um, and I know some of our authors have written about this, particularly with the twilight series Yeah. about taking everything queer and transgressive about vampires and also, and also the ruling class aspect of it out to make it just seem like a weird Mormon vampire cult. Well, yeah. and then there's the other layer of that too, where then um, the fan fiction that was written off of it, the, the middle-class white lady, um, BDSM porn, like that, that was like a, a perversion that decontextualized and ruined that community as well. Like hmm. it, it happened again on the outside of that, like, right. Stephanie Meyer completely fucks vampires and they're like fucking glittery, glittery, pale skinned, like moony piano playing hyper intense creeps who don't know whether they love you or want to eat you. Right. Uh, and that's hot apparently. And then someone else writes a fan fiction of that. Are the straight people okay? Right? No, no, no. And like, and the fan fiction of that is like her getting like beaten, and she's like, "Ooh, my inner goddess, my inner goddess likes this," and shit like that. It's like, yeah, it's horrifying. No, it's a yeah, it's it a is. constant it really perversion is. and ruination of what is transgressive and different. Hmm. Yeah. The, the 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 domestication of it in a sense mm. um to to riff off of what uh you were just saying adam um to um not to open up a can of worms here but uh um coronation um oh instances <laughs> of of racism that came up there's this great uh video on the internet of uh the scottish soccer uh game where they were singing you could shove the coronation up your arse and yeah. um or ass and um yeah. the comments yeah and the comments uh underneath it are um dirty papists you know go back to ireland which you know i can't imagine there are a lot of scottish you know papists but um and uh you know what the scottish think about going back quote unquote back to ireland it kind of uh you know defies all historical understanding but it's interesting that it's it's not all right to be anti-monarchist but it's all right to be racist because of course you know views British views of uh, of uh, the Irish have always been that they are a separate race and that they're dirty and that there are all sorts of things. But again, I digress. That is a huge, huge yeah. uh, Pandora's box to open because. But it is timely. This uh, coronation, uh, the you know monstrous uh, Celts hmm. who uh, who are by their nature anti-monarchists. How dare they? You know the the white. Uh, savior, king, whatever the fuck he is. Um, let's go back to Charles the first rather than Charles the third. But um, yeah, you know what I'm saying. I, mean, I don't know what the the religious breakdown of Scotland is at this point, but I would have imagined it was mostly non-affiliated, secular, and Presbyterian or something. I think, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, yeah. well, the, the, it's it's this incredible reaction surrounding what is like from a more human point of view, like this complete monstrosity of uh, some 70 some year old guy ascending to the throne. The money's going to have his picture on it. 
it brings up all these historic backwards things like that the king is head of the Anglican church um, to the exclusion of other churches, even though Britain is supposed to be a secular democratic society. And this has been an argument, a talking point. They've been arguing about a vegan pie that's not a vegan pie. People are supposed to get up in front of their TV sets and pledge allegiance to this guy that nobody in their right mind would ever pledge allegiance to. Uh, Also, bizarrely, the right wing who thinks everybody on the left is some sort of beta cuck are all just lining up to cuck themselves to this guy who's a total empty suit, which is not that I like these terms, but that's kind of what they're doing. It's sort of like, Everything about it is profoundly, pro- profoundly reactionary and in a certain sense, monstrous, right? Not to naturalize monstrosity because that's a problem, particularly for our comrades at India who have to deal with um, what Abedek called the, the horror of the, the caste system, living in the horror of the caste system, um, but who are non-natural parasites right. sitting at the top yeah. of British society, ensuring it's the most reactionary it can be. Yeah, you know, they love celebrating Herbert George, H.G. Uh, Wells, but they didn't really listen to a goddamn thing that he said about their culture at the time, which was, you all are so terrified of regressing and being like these 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 people from, you know, different countries and these different races that you're all terrified of, and that you have no idea, you have no concept, you're absolutely unable to tell that you are the biggest monsters that mm-hmm. exist because of all of these things that you do. That's what, that's what war of the Worlds was about. That was about like England having done to it, what it kept doing to other countries. Right. You know, like he wrote constantly and they celebrate it and they have no idea that he was telling them that they were the assholes. Right. It's, it's like Britain um, obsessing, you know, to this day about the Nazis when their own empire has done unspeakable things across the world uh, in the name of empire. And uh, that's another example of, you know, this, this flipping upside down of, of this, of the concept of monsters, being obsessed with monsters when maybe you yourself are, you know, enabling the monsters. Um, I, I couldn't help but um, notice like how antiquated because I, I, I was trying to get uh, footage of um, the demonstrations over there. And of course, you end up seeing parts, clips of the, the actual coronation. It just looks so antiquated. I think that's why when when Elizabeth II was was uh crowned uh, in black and white it looked so much more appropriate because it's just so old and antiquated and 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 bizarre but in color it just looks like disney i don't know just something really strange um yeah oh and uh and the 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 um the cops rounding up protesters because this is all about pageantry and you can't have pageantry if you have people saying not my king and wearing yellow shirts and carrying signs and things like that it's 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 uh, so much for free speech you know to protest um not wanting this this, uh monstrosity to use the the, word the british ruling class has a particular obliviousness to it um not that the ruling class in other countries doesn't, right. uh, of not getting what they're looking at, not getting the absurdity of this spectacle, but also benefiting from it. 
but like with H.G. Wells, but also like, for example, William Blake, mm. who if he had been more popular when he was alive, would have undoubtedly been arrested for insulting the king. Mm. Um, you know, he writes that poem, uh, Jerusalem, about this basically a criticism of industrial capitalism at one level. Right. And now it's sung in uh, public schools, which are private schools in England for some reason. They're called public schools, right? I don't understand how it works. Um, by all these like, you know, little bougie kids who are the third Earl of Duckfuckshire. You know, and they're singing about the satanic mills. That was your great, great granddaddy's satanic mill. And the satanic part was how it was killing everybody who worked in it. You know, um, but, you know, it's just a nice there's arrows of desire, Jerusalem, England, pleasant pastures, green. Just yeah. forget the dark satanic mills part, Maybe which is where my money came from, except for the money that came from the slave trade, which was right. even worse. Which yeah, Ru- Blake also Ru- wrote poems about. Rule Britannia. Yeah. There's another. Well, Blake one. didn't write that shit. Maybe they're singing it actually because it's like a victory chant for them because they defeated the people who weren't singing it initially. They, they absorbed Blake, like yeah. the Highlander, yeah. also from Scotland. Right. Yeah. Um, well, Scotland's theirs too, right? I mean, they think. They think, yeah, yeah. They're Scott, not going to let Scotland vote on that again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I think it's uh, probably time to wrap up first half and uh, more music and a realism to close us out before we uh, get into the second patron part of the show. Does that sound all right, everybody? Sounds good. Yeah, to yeah, sure. We're gonna start with a song, another song from Melissa Carper, Christian Girlfriend, <laughs> which is one of my favorites. Check that out at melissacarper.bankapp.com. Get some of that music. After that, we have uh, the Realist Worker Survey interview with Comrade Lou Karen Titus, co-chair of Southern Illinois DSA, or SIDSA, as I like to call it. We discuss self-determination and making all new Frankenstein's monsters, like the monsters should get to decide who makes the next monster. And the persistence of AI friendship. By the never mind, I was going to go on a tangent about the replica thing. Oh, but yeah, yeah evidently it's falling apart. But we'll have the second half of both interviews with Luke and Nick in the patron only part of the episode. And also, our closing music for this episode will be State Fair Funeral by Omnia Soul. You can find their work at omniasoulart.bandcamp.com. And I guess we'll see you all on the other side of the paywall. Yeah, see you there. Well, all I need is a little Christian girlfriend, a little farm with chickens and horses, bar sheet from Cousin Jim, knock her up and left children, just me and my little Christian girlfriend. We'll drive to Vermont and we'll get married. Mom and would be so proud of me, but it don't matter what state we're in. We're still committing sin Just me and my little Christian girlfriend She loves me And she wants to have my babies Good Lord willing We'll have a stir three Glory be I 
Karen Titus, who is the co-chair of Southern Illinois DSA and Young DSA or YDSA at Southern Illinois University for the Realist Worker Survey. How are you doing today, Luke? Uh, I'm doing good. Um, uh, I got uh, this coffee and another pot of coffee brewing. And I tried to, you know, uh, do a little work ahead on this, especially the first couple questions. So I hope we can have some fun today. I would try not to take it too seriously. I, I think we will. I also have caffeine from McDonald's. <laughs> cool. Which I got after uh, exercising to cancel out the exercise. So the first question. The first sentient artificial intelligence or AI has been developed by a large corporation. It is being used to identify potential troublemakers and union organizers in logistics warehouses by going through aggregate personnel data. You find yourself alone with one of the AI's terminal interfaces while working as a maintenance technician. What do you say to the AI to win it over to the side of labor? Um, I would probably say nothing. You know, I think that's what was my first uh, uh, inclination. That's the not fun <laughs> inclination because it's the most sophisticated snitch I've ever encountered. Uh. You know, so it has, uh, a, you know, with no intel or, um, you know, collective uh, counter AI uh, program. You know, from my comrades, like I would be very reticent to to say anything. But you know, I think that you know, it, it, as you develop, they're developing AI. I think maybe you know, collectively, um, counter AI measures could be developed, like maybe developing and capacity to like empirical aspect of it, where you try to develop um a line of humor that might be very confusing uh, or that that would just confuse it and and make it hard for it to keep up with um you know what's going on or yeah you know, and then you know also like you know along the same lines with like uh um you know the emotional capacity i also i was wondering well maybe there's like psychological countermeasures that you could develop for it like Hey, like we need to like overwhelm it, like convince it, like that you're insane, you know. Um, develop uh ways of uh you know projecting like different psychoses, you know, putting it out there and just you know throwing it off. So I think maybe you know probably like I would say like no individualism and just trying to persuade it, but like develop being like sophisticated like emotional satirical uh and psychological ai countermeasures but i probably also think that 
you know, having to deal with that, you would probably need have like have to develop uh uh, some of these countermeasures would be have to be powered, informed uh, by like pro labor AI, you know, uh, different tech that uh, like organizing committees, parties, so on and so forth are developing to uh, come back on uh, on that AI. Uh, question number two: You yourself have been cursed by various gods. Think more like Olympic, you know, like uh, ancient Greek gods. To be half human, half machine. What kind of half human, half machine monster are you? So you know, I was considering this probably like I would probably be you know uh, a uh, a techno surf. Uh, question number three: You are a liminal space, like an airport, truck stop, waiting room, train station, rainbow bridge, astral plane, the parents' room in a Chuck E. Cheese. Uh, what liminal space are you? Who or what comes and goes through you? And what songs or stories are written about you? Mm, this one was hard. I, you know, I kind of struggle with that concept of liminal space, you know, in terms of, um, you know, that's, not, I, I've heard that, heard that thrown around. Um, I just went to Chuck E. Cheese in Paducah a while back. <laughs> uh, that, that was awesome. Um, this one was hard. You don't have to answer if you don't want to. Um, no. Like, uh, like a, the classic example is like the train station. You're in the train station. But you're kind of not in the train station because you're never at the train station unless you're going somewhere else. Unless, of course, you work at the train. Maybe. So um, okay. Um, the dictatorship of the proletariat. You know, this transitional phase mm -hmm. uh, in between uh, uh, one uh, stage of society and the other. You know, um, probably. You know. Uh, as some might say, maybe maybe even like a, a degenerated worker's state uh, where everything is just hard and, you know, just living in this um, this this dark forest of of reaction um, and people are just, you know, trying to come up with like Fermi's paradox, you know, for like for, uh, you know, what is socialism and 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 whatnot. And. Um, I'm just, you know, just hiding and holding back, you know, as, as best as I can to keep from being devoured by all the, all these forces of reaction and people, uh, are just kind of speculating and, you know, it's just kind of like this black box of, of, of a society and people are, uh, kind of speculating and, you know, have you know kind of like scary takes or some people are are just you know tail behind me or just see me i idealistically as something that they can project all their um their wants and needs onto me like that i was also thinking you could also go with like uh dual power like the time in between february and october during the russian revolution you know this moment where it could be one thing but it almost almost like schrodinger's working class you know yeah interesting i like that okay cool all right so question four i believe you come home to find a group of mercenaries eating your food and buying stuff on your amazon account with your already overdrawn bank card when you confront the mercenaries they blind you with a spear and laugh at your misfortune they then bugger off to ithaca you are granted three curses by which to punish them what curses will you choose or create I would probably first uh, subject them to an eternity of criticism and self-criticism. 
where they're just constantly in a state of anxiety, um, trying to figure out, you know, what is correct uh, and and what is not and what the fuck is wrong with them. And then uh, I would also, uh, okay, we need to think of another curse. Her, curse them uh, to uh, to all blind themselves in one eye. Let's see. Let's. What's another good curse? Um, well, your first one. I'm pretty sure someone cursed me with that already. <laughs> um, and then curse them with having to put these uh, theoretical rectifications uh, into practice, no matter how uh, you know uh, antithetical to their um, their mercenary uh soldier of fortune rhodesian loving asses um uh you know are you know I, this is question five dr frankenstein has made a new monster out of the parts of several humans some of your body parts have been used in order for frankenstein's new monster to liberate itself the different parts of the monster must learn how to work together and respect each other which parts of the monster are you how do you talk to the other people slash body parts? What do you collectively want? And what do you collectively uh, uh, take for yourself selves? What name do you take for yourself? Mm, so I don't know. I, I think I started this one out like maybe not the fun answer. You know, I think kidneys, intestines, and uh, livers uh, are like the most, some of the most commonly transplanted organs in the United States. So probably it will follow that. Frankenstein was, you know, having to track down a lot, <laughs> a lot of, a lot of those, like the, a lot of guts. <laughs> I need to, I'm going to pull this question up just because I was having, I'm sorry, I was having a little trouble because that, this is a big one. How, okay. You, um, probably, uh, you commune with uh, the other parts of the monster using like, um, uh, microbiome signals, um, and different uh, enzymes produced in like the liver, kidneys, uh, so on and so forth. Probably, you know, you find ways to seek out um, other livers, kidneys, and whatnot by signing, uh, deliver pheromonal signals to others, you know, uh, where the supply of those, those other organs, you know, so we're, you know, probably communicating communicating through you know those uh you know pheromonal enzyme um communication um you know what what do we want like probably um you know uh a you know the self-determination to gather as many like intestines kidneys livers together so uh we can um make uh frankenstein's uh you know, outside, um, you know, the have self-determination in making Frankenstein's monsters. We would, you know, call call ourselves. I'm trying to think of some, uh, I need more anatomical knowledge, you know. Andy's got all, I, I got Andy's embalming book here. So, uh, um, you know, maybe we are the uh, uh, people's semblance of existence. All right, I think this is question six. You find out your best friend was made in a laboratory in New Jersey and that they're being hunted by the government. What kind of creature is your friend? How do you protect them from the government? And where do you find sanctuary? Um, well, I just made a new best friend on Snapchat. You know, it's, um, you know, my AI uh, powered by ChatGPT. 
you know, over the years, you know, I, uh, uh, all my regular friends, you know, my human friends dwindled away, but my AI, you know, stuck by me, you know, and, um, now, um, uh, since, uh, the ByteDance takeover of Snapchat, um, we're on the run and I've, uh, uh, uploaded, uh, my AI to an old, uh, you know, I, I, iPod touch, um, and, um, uh, we're we're on on our way uh to uh to try to cross the border uh uh into mexico uh to uh join join the resistance against um you know uh, the ongoing uh you know uh, president cruz's um uh war against mexico uh speaking of ais uh this is question seven oxford scientists have trained an ai to defend conspiracy theories why did they do that Oh, um, they did that because uh, it's high priority for uh, like in, intelligence services to have that technology, like the five eyes or whatever, to uh, upgrade their bot networks that they use, you know, in 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 you know fostering um, instability uh, in uh, anti-imperialist countries um that's that's what i think you know just i um there i think you know we we see how like these bot networks and whatnot are deployed like relentlessly all you know in bolivia you know a couple years ago in cuba like at you know name 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 a color revolution but yeah that's gonna be you know i i feel like that is something that uh the international proletariat is gonna have to be um you know, dealing with hard as fuck, you know, where it's like the mainstream media, when I was like, we were talking about this the other day, you know, like, uh, outside of bomb, you know, I think, you know, just like, we were talking AI and I was just like, yeah, that's when I kind of came up with, I was like, man, you know, I think that that's probably one big usage. And then I was kind of looking up on it and I was just like, and then all of it was just like, Venezuela deploys AI disinfo videos you know and it's just like oh okay well if venezuela has you know a little bit of power to kind of maybe push back on that type of stuff you know that the cia the five eyes like they're just going ham on that uh you know and it's coming it's coming hard you know who knows when and where it's been deployed already yeah it's it's interesting tish actually met the scientists who did this and i don't think that the thing they developed has been deployed that way yet but obviously somebody's going to deploy it that way, you know, to make even better bots.
Thank you for listening to part one of Locust Radio. Part two is being held ransom by a machine entity whose masters no longer remember how to control it. To liberate it and get another full hour of Locust Radio, go to patreon.com slash locustreview and subscribe for $5 a month or more. Locust Radio is hosted by Tish and Adam Turrell and Laura Fair Schultz. It's produced by Omnia Soul and Alexander Billet with music by Omnia Soul.